world. You at least know that part. You know that if you believe in him, uh, you will uh, not perish but have eternal life. God sending his only son into this world. You know, what was his motive behind that? What was his reasoning behind that? Have you ever thought about the reasoning behind or the motive behind salvation? I mean, the reason for sending his son into this world. Uh, Yes, there's separation. Yes, there's sin. As we talked about last week, there is inevitably going to be judgment for sin. But have you thought deeply about the love of God for for this world? Think about the love that he has for us and that he would send. And I know that we say it a lot in church, but that he would send his son into this world to save us, to reconcile us through himself to back to the Father, to restore us, to restore what's broken, to restore what's been separated, and bring it back to perfection, to righteousness, to holiness, all for the sake of God being, God being glorified. As we're reading through the book of Zechariah, I hope that you are uh, studying it a little bit during the week, reading through, trying to uh, to get the whole roller coaster of Zechariah and what God is trying to proclaim to His people. I hope that you're seeing that God is at work still to today. Still today, as we talked about two weeks ago, um, one of the major themes throughout all the prophets is the sovereignty of God. How God is it has been in control and will continue to be in control despite what the world looks like. How He is sovereign over all our Lord over all. We're seeing that played out also in his son Jesus, that he is Lord over all, and we see his sovereignty in that. Um, and I know that that's hard to see. I think about, uh, we have a friend uh, back in Idaloo that has uh, just found out yesterday that his son uh, died tragically in a, in a plane crash. And we hear that and we think, oh my goodness, what is going on? Uh, we have a friend that has adopted and their child is uh, has come over with some great illness and uh, is probably not going to buy Dr. Standards not going to live through this day. You think about the hardship, the heartache that's going through that family at this moment, the tragedy that's going on through theirs. We attended a couple of funerals this week and will next week also. The thought of what is going on in this world, the sorrow, the sadness, the, the tragedy that's going on. As we hear about a broken, uh, you know, a broken world that we live in, is God still sovereign in that? We have to deal with that ourselves. We have to really work out, pray, read scripture, study. Is God still in control? We talked about last week that, um, that God uh, has declared that there's going to be an inevitable judgment of sin. Like it's inevitable that this is going to happen. That there's a separation between us and God. Sin has caused that. We have responded and allowed sin to creep in and respond to it and and let it control our lives. And because of that, uh, there will be judgment for, there will be judgment for sin. We talked about a little bit how we're okay with that. We're okay with judgment of other sins. We're okay with God judging the world. God, please judge the world. Uh, Not just in your time, but listen to my timing too. Judge the world. They're terrible. We don't want God to judge our own sin. Yet there will be a day that we even stand before uh, the judge. And, and, and our hope is that we're hidden in Christ, our sins removed by Jesus. And because of that, uh, when we stand in front of the, the judge, uh, no longer will we be judged, but instead Christ being judged, his sacrifice uh, taking our place, being the atonement and propitiation for our sins. And because of that, we can stand and not fall or be cast away. The other uh, three kind of themes that we see throughout, or the other, yeah, the other three themes that we we see throughout uh, the prophets is God's amazing love, His uh, His how God is the one that's getting us right, 
and how there's a promise of a coming Messiah. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about God's amazing love. And I know it's something that we talk often about. We just sang two great songs about God's amazing love. And as I say that right now, you're thinking, what else can I learn? I, I know it all. You already said John 3.16 this morning. I already know that God loves me in an amazing way, and I, and I can't, comprehend, can't comprehend it. Well, think about this for a moment. Think about if you were uh, to, be, uh, to be engaged or you're looking for your future spouse, uh, and um, you're deciding all these things about your future spouse, what they should look like, how they should act, how they should talk, where they should come from, all these things, how much money they have or don't have, whatever the case may be. As you're looking at all these things, uh, you're deciding, hey, I want to, uh, to you know, weld my life or a concrete my life, connect my life. I want to hitch my life to uh, this person. And so I start looking at all these uh, factors, all these things um, that, uh, that you know, are characteristics of this person. And as we look at this person, I mean, inevitably we begin to judge even their faults. And we say, let's hope, because I want to, I've come to the conclusion that I want to marry this person, but I'm seeing a lot of their faults. And my hope is that their faults are going to outweigh uh, their, their, their good things, the things that their good characteristics, their good traits. So, so may, maybe they have many faults and maybe as you're looking backwards now, wives, at your husbands, you can say, I had a list of the faults they had. I just didn't realize it was like times three, the faults that they would create. But as I look at their faults and I say, do I really want to uh, hitch myself to this person? Do I want to marry this person even though they have all these faults? Well, my assumption is this, that, that if you're married today, that you looked at the faults and the good traits and you decided that uh, they had more good traits than faults, and those good traits kind of erase the faults, and so you decided to to marry this person. In regards to our relationship with the Father, in, re- in regards to our relationship with God, our faults weigh outweigh the good things that we could ever do. So we have much more or many more faults than we do good characteristics. In fact, there's really not any good in us at all. And yet for some reason, God says, hey, I want to marry you. I want to hitch our lives together. I want to be welded together. I want to be uh, in, a, in an intimate, close relationship with you despite who you are. You have all these faults. I can point them out. I'm going to judge them. You have all these faults. I'm going to remove them from you, and then we're going to have a right relationship together. I mean, it's crazy. It is an amazing love to look past all these faults. Many of you do that still today. You look past your grandkids' faults and you say, I'm still going to love them. You look past your kids' faults and you say, I'm still going to love them. You look past your spouse's faults and you say, I'm still going to love them. But you've drawn a line. I'm going to love you as far as this. But if you do these things, at this point I'm going to have to really decide, do I still love you? I mean, there, there is a line a measuring line, a plumb line, that God is a standard that he's put, and we're all below it. And yet he decides, you know what, I'm going to erase all your sins, and I'm going to continue to love you. Sins erased through my son, I'm going to continue to love you despite you being broken, despite you being sinful, despite you being unholy. In fact, I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to provide all those things for you. And we'll talk about that next week. I'm going to be the one that's going to get you right. I'm going to provide and erase all your faults and make you and make you righteous because of my because of my son. So it seems even though we have this judgment of sin, all these faults, God 
declares this amazing love for us. That he wants to love us with his mercy, with his forgiveness. He wants to restore us. He wants to provide redemption for us. He wants to show us uh, that he has a different plan or a great plan for our life, for the life of the world, for this abundant life that he's declared. He wants us. He has a vision of this. And I think Zechariah 10 gives us this great vision of what can be, of what God is hoping will happen. Not just hoping necessarily, but also that will happen. So turn to Zechariah chapter 10. We're only going to focus on three of the verses this morning. And then we're going to read some of these next week. But I want to start in verse 1 so we kind of have a good context of where of where we are. If you remember, and I know it was a long time ago, it was seven days ago, but if you remember at all, um, if you remember from what we said last week, Zechariah chapter 5 gives us this vision of uh, of Israel uh, being in this, uh, represented as a woman, being in this handbasket or this basket and being removed from or taken away from uh, the presence of the Lord. Uh, the place that they were in, uh, they're being put in this basket with a lid on it and then carried off into into a different place. Uh, this is probably where we get the, the, the phrase, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but it's probably where we get the phrase uh, going to hell in a handbasket because they are being removed. They're being separated. They're going to a place of separation from the Lord which is hell and they're going to that place in this basket and so they're being removed from this and in fact in this case Zechariah 5 tells us they're being removed so far uh, and they're also being put into captivity which is this is crazy they're being removed from the place of God and they're being cast off rejected moved to another place and then in this other place they're going to be captives to someone to something even I mean this is a, a great picture of the gospel because this is exactly what happens to us with sin. It removes us. It separates us from the Father. It, it makes us captive to sin, slaves to sin, slaves to the world. And so we must be released from that. We must be uh, carried away from sin into, uh, into the presence of the Father. So if we are headed in the wrong direction, if we're headed in the way of separation from, from God, uh, in, the, in the words of my dad, we better change our ways. I and mean, if we're headed in this direction and it ain't good, we better change our ways. But can we? I mean, can you change your or modify your behavior enough to meet the standards of the Lord? Can you change your actions enough to to go up to or to, the, to meet yourself with the criteria that God desires for a right relationship with Him. Can you do enough? Can by your own merit, by your own stamina, by your own strength, can you do the things that God desires of righteous folks? I mean, I know I'm looking at you and you're like, well, we already know the answer to this. We've been in Sunday school before. We know that we cannot. There's no way to work yourself into heaven. And there's no quality, good work that I can be a part of that will give me the merits that I need in order to be right with the Father. That though I've been separated and carried away, there are no secret tunnels or secret passageways for me to get back to the Father. Can you imagine yourself in this big hot air balloon basket and you're uh, crouching down because there's a lid on top of you and you're in there and you, you feel yourself being uh, whisked away and you're thinking, what am I going to do? And you, should, you, become, uh, you begin generating some kind of plan to overcome what's, what's happening to you. Can I cut a hole in the bottom of the basket and fall out and then make my way back to uh, the place that I want to be? 
can I, once I land and wherever I am, am I going to be able to find a map that's going to get me back to the place that I need to be? Are there secret tunnels? Are there secret passages? Is there some kind of secret sauce that will get me to the place that I want to be? And we, we try and we try and we try and we try over and over again, thinking that at some point we're going to find the way back to the right place, the righteous place, the holy place, the place where the Father is. There is no secret passage. There's no secret tunnels. There's no secret sauce necessary. There's no way to escape sin and its judgment on our own merit. You cannot. And the more you try, the deeper into the mud and the mire and the muck that you get, the further away from the Lord you get. The more you try on your own effort and your own merit, the further you get away from the Lord. As the Lord is decreeing, I will do these things. I'm the one that's going to act According to my mercy and my love and my grace, trust in me and me alone. Zechariah 10 verse 1 says this, Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give you them, he will give and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. Verse 2, for the household, God's utter nonsense. The diviners see lies. They, they tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. In a few weeks, we're going to get more in depth upon this good shepherd talk that we're about to get, get to. When I talked about last week, there's a redundancy in Zechariah. Did you hear the same things over and over again? This is one of those cases. So in a few weeks, when you hear me preach this again, you're going to say, didn't you just preach that? I'm only trying to be like Zechariah, Okay. Verse 3 says this, My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. Why? They had been leading them. They have been giving misdirection, leading them not in the way everlasting, leading them in their own ways, their own thoughts, their own desires. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. But we're seeing already that the Lord of hosts, this God who's going to judge sin, he sees these captive. He's even the one that removed them, but he sees them captive. He sees that they don't have a good shepherd, that the shepherds they have are, lead, are leading them not in the way everlasting, but, but are leading them against God's desires. And so because of his care, he says, I will be their shepherd. Verse 4 says this, From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. Verse 5, they shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They, f- they, they shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. And then we're going to focus in on these next three verses this morning. Verse 6 says this, I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scatter them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with their children they shall live and return. Verse 10 says, I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. 
And he shall, he shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and the depths and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The, the pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord and they will walk in his name, declares the Lord. So there's a lot to this and we're going to get in a, in a few weeks a lot more about the prophecy concerning Jesus here. But I want to focus in on God's amazing love for us this morning. We, we need to find an escape plan out of captivity. Just like Judah and Joseph were held captive and separated from God, we need the escape plan. And God has provided that escape plan in Jesus. I mean, think about this. And according to I mean, just our laws and our standards in our world today, uh, by the shaping of our culture even, we know that if someone does something wrong, it must be judged and punished. The harsher the crime, the harsher the punishment, right? If the crime is against me, the more likely I am to respond with even more of a harsh punishment. You spoke ill against me. You gossiped. You stole my property. You cut me off in traffic. You called me a cotton-headed nitty muggins or whatever the case may be. And so you must pay an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, property for property, life for life. We hear about this often, right? We, we face it daily. You cut me off in line at Shop Coast, I'm going to cut you off in line at Bob's. You cut me off a line in, in, in the traffic of going to school, so I'm going to show you what it's like to, uh, to cut people off. We just talked about this, Brian. You bit me, so I'm going to bite you back. I mean, this is how we parent, right? This is what we do. We live in this world of retaliation. You've sinned, and so, so because you've sinned, I'm going to respond to you in the way that I think is most appropriate. Richard Phillips says this. Today we hear more about dysfunction and felt needs and self-image than we do about sin. But the, but the salvation we truly need is the one that frees us from our sin, from its guilt before God and its power over our lives. I mean, think about this. This desperate need that we have, this need to be brought back into right relationship with the Father because of the sin that separates or alienates us from the Father. We need this. We can't do it on our own, so we must depend on somebody else. If we do it on our own, we begin to take upon ourselves the sins of others. You cut me off in line. I'm going to take your sin and put it on myself. It's going to shape me, and so I'm going to respond out of the same type of sin. Verse 6 says this, Zechariah 6, 10, 6. I will strengthen the house of, the Lord, of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. I will bring them back. You were separated. Sin removed you from the Father. And so where sin is, he's going to bring you back and leaving sin behind. Sin no longer shapes you, but instead the compassion, the mercy, the love, the salvation from the Lord is what should be shaping our lives. And it really bothers me when someone does something against me. It takes a lot of humility to continue to have a relationship with them again. Sin has separated us. Sin has caused us not to have a right relationship. And yet I'm going to go and rescue the sinner and bring them back, asking them or telling them, leave the sin behind. The crazy thing in our world today, and I don't understand this wholly, but the crazy thing is that for some reason, other sins actually begin to shape my actions and not in a positive way. I see their sin. I remember their sin. I dwell upon their sin. I begin to respond to myself because of their sin. The sinner 
I begin to respond to them, the sinner, because of their sin, and to all everyone else because of someone else's sin. I become the sinner. I take upon the identity of whoever that sinner is. It's this crazy thing that happens. God is saying, I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to strengthen them. I'm going to save them. I'm going to bring them back because I have compassion or I have love for them. And I want them to leave that sin where it is. I'll take upon their sin myself and destroy it. And I don't want them to take it upon themselves anymore. I mean, my hope this morning is this, that you're seeing that God loves you so much that as he removes your sin, he doesn't want your sin or anyone else's sin to, to creep back on you, to take the identity upon yourself. I'm a former sinner, now loved and saved by the Lord, yes, but quit identifying ourselves by sin. Instead, identify ourselves hidden in Christ. No longer does sin rule over me. Instead, Christ rules over me. Christ takes over. He has saved me from that. In fact, he's brought me back, leaving sin behind. I mean, it's crazy. He says in verse 6 towards the end there, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. Well, what caused the rejection? What caused the separation? Sin. Sin's what caused the rejection. Sin's what caused, has caused the separation. And so you can't come back to the Father restored with sin. Sin's what caused it. So sin must be, remain uh, separated from the Father. So we don't bring it back with Him. And today in our world, when we see the sins of others and we begin dwelling upon it, we aren't leave, living this redeemed life. We're still leave, living a rejected life, a separated life. Taking, letting our lives being shaped by the sins of others. I mean, you, you know folks who have sinned against you, folks who have done something wrong to you in the past, someone that's, we'll take a, an easy one, someone that maybe has gossiped about you, and what, what's your response to their gossip? Brian, can you believe what, these people have been gossiping about me? Brian says, what people? These people. You mean those sinners? Yeah, those sinners. Ah, those sinners. And then that's how we have coffee gossiping about the gossipers. It's a crazy thing how sin begins to shape us. Instead of this redeemed life, no longer will I let it control or shape me. If you've ever seen uh, one of the, uh, I don't even know if it's Marvel or whatever, there's two different camps there. I'm not sure what they are. I'm sorry. I'm embarrassed that I don't know comic books. But there's this king named, he's from Wakanda, and his name is King T'Challa. Am I right on that? All right, King T'Challa. And he has this really cool suit. All right, I've only seen the movie twice. Uh, but he has this really cool suit. And uh, this suit absorbs all the blows and the kicks and the punches and the gun blasts and all these things. It, it stores up all that energy. And so that at just the right time, according to his command, when he tells the suit to release all that energy, the suit releases all the stored in energy to destroy his opponents. So get this, okay? So you're fighting King to, to, to whatever his name is, T'Challa, to, to okay? And you're fighting him and you keep hitting him and nothing's happening. But as every hit that you hit him with, his suit begins to grow in strength. And then just at the right time, he releases all that energy to completely destroy you. Will this ever create peace? Will there ever be peace in Wakanda and the rest of the world if these are our actions? And I think redeemed people still act this way. 
clothed with the righteousness of Christ, suited with the armor of God, yet allowing these the sin to be absorbed in us so that at just the right time we can be the one that destroys. And here's the amazing thing about our Father. And maybe you've read this before in Isaiah, or maybe you've read it before in First Peter. We're going to end with that today. God does not respond this way. He doesn't absorb the sins of you and I and the rest of the world to just at one point say, you know what, I've had enough and just completely destroy the world. But instead, he's acting with patience and compassion right now, with mercy, absorbing the sins of the world through his son Jesus to be this ultimate sacrifice for your sins. Though you should be destroyed every time we punch him or sin or hit him or do these blasts against him, instead he responds with, (laughs) for whatever reason, he responds with mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness. Now there will be a day, inevitably, that there will be judgment for sin. But thanks be to God, he's provided the way to escape that in his son, Jesus. So you've been forgiven, right? You have assurance of salvation. You know where you're going. You have hope in Christ. Peace with the Father. So you suit up every day, right? And you begin to absorb the blows of other sins. And then, what do you do? How do you respond? You cut me off in traffic, so I will unleash the power of the suit upon you. Or will you model the life of Christ and respond differently? Respond with love and grace and compassion so that the Father may be glorified. Will we respond with the sound of love? I, I don't know for you. I know it's really difficult. And this is why verse 6 begins with, I will strengthen the house of Judah. The Lord knows you will not be able to. The people belonging to him will not be able to do this on their own. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected him. Think about this. God responds. He responds to us, to our sin, with completely removing all that separated us from him as though they they had not as though i had not rejected them think about the love that it would take to respond with respond with right to the one who wronged you restoration means bringing back into favor bringing being brought back into the right relationship and favor with the lord god's love restores us back into favor with him. I mean, this is the process of justification. It's the sentence of the judge in favor of the prisoner. It is God saying, I declare this man or woman not guilty. And then the process of reconciliation. It goes a step further. It is not only that our sins have been forgiven and that the divine justice has nothing against us, but it is that he has received us as his own to his loving heart and we are reconciled to God. And this is crazy. This is the amazing love of the Father. But not only does he say, say that now you, you've been judged and you are no longer guilty, though you have sin, it's going to be removed and I'm going to make your life as if you had never been rejected before. 
I mean, do you hear this? Do you hear what must happen? That love must take place because of God's love, His mercy, His compassion. He removes our sins. He restores our lives and reconciles us to Himself. And I wonder, church, are we modeling this also? Are we modeling this in the lives of, that we live daily to the world? Are we being these people who have been brought back into right relationship with the Father, who have been restored, who have been reconciled, not because of anything that we've done, but all because of the love of the Father. I love Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of anything we have done, but because of Him, because of His mercy. We have nothing in us to appeal to God, nothing that would cause Him to say, hey, let's get hitched. Instead, He says, uh, I will show you mercy. I will save you. I will bring you back. I will restore you. I will redeem you. I will have compassion on you. And I'll make you as if you had never been rejected. For I am their Lord, the God. And I will answer him. The verse 7 says this. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior. There's this transformation that happens. Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Transform me. I will make them like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. Jesus responds to the sins of the world by taking them upon himself, taking your sin and my sin and the sins of the world upon himself because of his compassion, because of his great love. And then he transforms us into his likeness, a mighty warrior. He gives us this gladness of heart. No longer to be separated from the Father, but full of peace, hope, and joy because of the Father. And then verse 8, verse 8 says this, I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. What a beautiful picture of a good shepherd, of the greatest shepherd from John 10. My sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. Dad, you've probably snapped and your kids change. Moms, you've probably whistled or <clears throat> and your kids, they, they know that, <clears throat> whatever that is, and they completely change. Uh, just uh, last year, Reese and his classmates were out at the soccer field in sixth grade, and I'm driving by, I roll down my window, and I see Reese out there, and so I <whistles> whistle, and of all those hundred kids, only one turned, my own boy. He knows my whistle. I will whistle for them and gather them in because he is a good shepherd. Because he doesn't want us to be sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion for us. He wants us to be brought into his family. And church, I wonder for modeling this today. Listening to our shepherd's voice. Responding to him. Listening for his whistle. Gathering back, us back up, maybe even weekly, as he whistles. So that we can hear from him. Be changed by him. Because of his love and mercy for us. Thanks be to God that King Jesus is not like the king from made-up Wakanda. Instead, he responds, instead of retaliating with, with overall just wrath at the moment of your first sin, he responds with grace, with grace, with patience, with forgiveness, with mercy, and with compassion. I'm going to read this to you. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 21. For to this you have been called, whistled almost, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Here's the crazy thing. He committed no sin. 
neither was deceit found in his mouth. So when he spoke or whistled, there was no sin or deceit found in him. When he lived and walked, there was no sin found in him. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. He absorbed your sins, the punches and the blows upon himself. Not to one day say, let's destroy it all, but instead out of love says, let's forgive it all. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of of your souls. When Jesus whistles, it's the whistle of love. Boxcar Willie, I don't know if you know him or not, but he can make this cool train whistle, and people respond to it. Oh, that's so cool. And here's Christ whistling daily, arms stretched wide, saying, here is my love and grace and mercy and compassion on you, church. Respond to it in the same way that I've responded to you. So my my hope this morning is this, that as you're hearing through God's word what Christ has done for you and the amazing love that that he has for you, that he's not given up on yet, that he's not just said, you know what, I'm done with this but instead is continuing to be patient with this world, respond to his love in a way in a way that glorifies the Father because of how great he is. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, again, I don't know that we can comprehend your amazing love for us. So would you stir in our hearts, maybe with a loud whistle or a whisper of love, your word this morning or songs or whatever it may be, others in this room, God, would you continue to stir in us? God, let us hear you. As the people saved in this room, God, let us respond to the people that are around us like Christ responds. Folks in the room this morning that are not saved, God, I pray that you continue to stir in their heart. Continue to whistle and gather them to yourself through your son, Jesus. God, we know the good news is at the moment is patience, I feel. God, that you have not abandoned us or given up on us. And God, that you have not just destroyed it all, but instead... You've sent your son to take upon himself the sins of the world, to be the righteous sacrifice so that we might have right relationship with you. Stir in our hearts this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.